Gresham College presents Safety Underground Mining and the Miner's Lamp by Professor Frank James. An instant of bacon spirit to behold, Davy's magic lantern, the miner's Davy, etc. Every philosopher must view it as a mark of subjection set by science in the strongest holds of nature. Thus Faraday at a lecture to City Philosophical Society just off Fleet Street uh, in 1817. I've always been fascinated by that passage, and I want to try and unpack that a bit uh, in the course of this talk. Uh, but I just want to remind you that this year uh, marks the bicentenary of the invention by Humphrey Davy uh, and George Stevenson uh, of the independent, one has to say, uh, of a miner's safety lamp, and that's what I'll be talking about uh, today. Britain, as it's often been said, is an island of coal surrounded by water. And so the two aspects of safety that I'll be talking about this week and next week are safety in mines and safety at sea. The quotation of Faraday's citation of Bacon comes from the late 16th century, where Francis Bacon, and who does have a connection with Gresham, Thomas Gresham, by the way, since his half-brother married Gresham's daughter, so they're all sort of related together, um, that knowledge itself is power, the great slogan uh, of the application of science in this country, uh, which really only started being valid uh, in the 19th uh, century. I mean, the, the entire industrialization of Britain in the 18th century could have, could have easily occurred without either knowing the inverse square law of gravitation uh, or that light was composed of seven colours, allegedly. The one area where science did play some kind of role uh, was in building the empire. And here, uh, Joseph Banks, president of the Royal Society of London from 1778 until his death uh, in 1820, uh, was a key figure uh, in developing ideas about how you used uh, science to exploit, sustain, and expand uh, the empire. He, for example, had the bright idea of appointing William Bly uh, to command HMS Bounty to, for the economic botanical idea of taking breadfruit from the East Indies uh, to the West Indies, and various other things uh, that Banks did, including in 1799, six years into the uh, final war against France, uh, founding the Royal Institution of Great Britain in Albemarle Street. Uh, this was founded um, on the, at Banks' house in Soho Square on the 7th of March, 1799, with the explicit purpose of applying science for the common purposes uh, of life. And it very quickly bought this building in Albemarle Street, uh, where the RI has remained uh, continuously uh, ever since. Uh, though I have to say the columns weren't added until the 1830s. It's just a sort of fairly tedious um, 18th century frontage uh, when it was purchased. Its original, uh, the original idea behind the RI uh, was to provide scientific advice to the state and its agencies uh, and to provide uh, scientific popular lectures. And here's a popular scientific lecture uh, going on uh, in 1801 uh, because they had the great fortune uh, to employ a very young, 22-year-old Humphrey Davy uh, as a professor of chemistry, a position he held until 1812 when he married an extremely wealthy widow 
uh, with £4,000 a year and a capital of 60000 and he could tire from being professor of chemistry at the age of 35, which I also think is a good idea. Uh, so here you have Davy, when he was working in Bristol at the Medical Pneumatic Institution, had discovered the physiological properties uh, of nitrous oxide, uh, laughing gas, uh, where, which he said had all the benefits of alcohol without the hangover the day after, and he got all his mates, like people like Southey and Coleridge and Wordsworth, uh, in Bristol to uh, try out um, uh, this new narcotic that he discovered. Uh, so this is Davy holding a gas bag here, Thomas Garnett, the, the first professor of chemistry at the Royal Institution, administering it uh, to Sir, the treasurer, Sir, Sir John Hippersley, with slightly unfortunate consequences behind, uh, which I am told do happen, but I've never personally experienced it. But Davy, also from his experience at the Medical Pneumatic Institution in Bristol, learnt, had learnt about the value of research. And one of the things he did, one of the key things he did very early on, having moved to the Royal Institution, uh, was to develop uh, the Royal Institution into a research institution, uh, something uh, which had never been intended uh, by the founders uh, of the RI. Um, so in this laboratory, and this is an architect's drawing uh, of the basement laboratory in the RI, so it's actually quite, quite neat and tidy, which is not my normal experience of chemical laboratories, I have to say. Um, Davy, in, say, 1807, 1808, uh, discovered sodium uh, and uh, potassium. And these are the what this portrait of Davy from about 1812 uh, shows one of the batteries uh, that he used to discover sodium and potassium. Um, uh, and what some notebooks in which he recorded uh, those discoveries. And we've still got all that in our possession at the Royal Institution. His marriage... Uh, was, was a sort of well, Jane Austen sort of marriage. He got the money, her money, and she got his title because three days before they got married, uh, Davy was knighted by the Prince Regent in the, one of the first batch of knighthoods, in the, in the first batch of knighthoods uh, to be uh, created uh, in the Regency. And so she became uh, Lady Davy, uh, and the marriage was not especially happy, uh, one has to say. They were happier when they were apart uh, than when they were together. So let's just park Dave for a bit and look at the context uh, in which he would uh, come to achieve perhaps his most famous uh, discovery, which uh, he should still be known, we should, should be known more about than uh, is currently the case, I'm afraid to say. Uh, this is the northeast uh, coal field um, running uh, from Sunderland and County Durham in the south uh, all the way up to the north uh, of Newcastle uh, in Northumberland. The northeast produced throughout the 18th and into the 19th century significant amounts of coal uh, for uh, Britain. Uh, so, um, uh, in the sort of beginning of the 18th century, uh, more nearly half of all coal production in Britain came from the northeast. By 1815, it's approaching a quarter. So, it's still a very significant amount of coal coming from the northeast. And even as, even as late as the mid-19th um, century, with huge expansions of coal production throughout the country, uh, it's still producing, new, the northeast coal field is still producing about a fifth uh, of the country's uh, coal requirements. 
This came at a price, and the price was explosions of fire damp, which we now call uh, methane CH4 underground, uh, which you can see in the sort of first decade and a half uh, of the 19th century uh, was increasing uh, exponentially. And not only were a significant number of people being killed uh, in coal mines, uh, it also reduced production. Uh, because if you've got a coal mine where there's been an explosion, it's going to be some time before you can get it going. Uh, so it's both it's one of those things which is both in the interests of the workers and the owners uh, to do something um, about improving uh, safety. And this came to a head in 1812 uh, when felling colliery uh, blew up, uh, killing uh, 95, sorry, 92 um, men and boys. And when one looks at the figures, there were four boys aged under 10 killed and one aged four. They really started them young uh, in the early part of the 19th century. Now, Fredding Colliery happened to be in the parish of Jarrow of Heworth, whose rector at that point uh, was John Hodgson, um, perhaps best known today uh, as an antiquarian, um, wrote from fairly standard histories uh, of Northumberland. And uh, he was absolutely appalled, especially as he buried 91 uh, of the victims uh, in his uh, church at Heworth. So he, working with Robert Gray then in the next parish of um, Monkwayworth, uh, decided to do something um, about uh, the number of mines blowing up, killing huge numbers, expen exponentially increasing numbers, uh, of uh, people. Uh, Gray later achieved fame as Bishop of Bristol and infamy for having his palace burnt down during the reform riots uh, of 1831. So we've actually lost Gray's papers, which, are, which is not very helpful when you're working uh, on the history of the safety lamp. They formed the committee, uh, chaired by Ralph Melbank, local Whig MP, who would become, at least for a year, uh, Lord Byron's father-in-law, and they wrote their first report uh, in 1814, uh, which, they, which they said quite clearly that what the mines needed uh, was scientific advice. It is to scientific men only that we must look up for assistance in providing a cheap and effectual remedy uh, to explosions uh, in mines. Um, both Gray and Hodgson tried to contact Humphrey Davy at the Royal Institution. Davy because of his knighthood, uh, because of his fame at discovering chemical elements, as well as some experience with practical work, for example, trying to purify uh, Newgate, the atmosphere of Newgate Prison, did, was, was a pretty obvious person to go and talk to about these issues. But at that point, uh, he was on the continent, uh, visiting um, uh, Volta in Milan uh, and so on, and not available. He came back uh, in the uh, spring of 1815, uh, but in the meantime, other solutions had been sought. So, for example, William Reed Clanny, a local physician uh, in the northeast, had developed uh, his lamp. And the basic, the basic problem, which had to be overcome by all lamps, was to produce a source of light, which you can only produce in those days using flame, without causing an explosion, but allowing light uh, to be produced. Um, so you have, to, you have to have some sort of chamber that will contain the flame 
uh, and not let it anywhere near uh, the methane. Uh, so this is Clanny's uh, lamp, um, and so you have a, a bellows which provides the oxygen or dephlogisticated air, depending on your chemical preferences at that point, um, into the uh, lamp, and then you light. Now, as you can see, this is, requires one person to hold the lamp and one person to do the mining. And so that's, from mine owner's point of view, uh, that is clearly inefficient and a serious waste of resources. Well, eventually Davy came back to England and promptly went on a fishing holiday in Lord, Lord Melrose's uh, estate in Scotland. Um, the number of letters where David talks about fishing is quite extraordinary, one has to, has to say, one of the great fishermen of the early 19th uh, century. He visited Gray and Hodgson uh, on his way back uh, from Scotland in the summer um, and early autumn of 1815, uh, took samples of the fire damp from various uh, mines in the, in the area and sent them to the Royal Institution uh, telling his laboratory assistant, Michael Faraday, uh, to keep them there until he got back. And then when he got back uh, to um, uh, London, uh, having visited some of the great and the good of the northeast, Bishop of Durham, uh, at the Bishop of Auckland, and um, the um, Lassell's family at uh, Wentworth Woodhouse, uh, he and Faraday started a very, very intense period of research on flame on trying to produce a safety lamp um, from sort of the middle of October through to the end of December uh, 1815. Now, curiously enough, there are no notebooks recording their experiments. And so the, the, what evidence we've got for the development of this uh, depends on analysing uh, the manuscript paper, drafts of manuscript papers that David kept on drafting, about four or five drafts, uh, over the period of about three months. So you can actually tell quite precisely uh, when various innovations uh, were developed uh, in, the, in the safety lamp. So this is the first uh, lamp on the left. This was basically uh, an ordinary um, uh, miner's lamp, which coal miners used, um, with very narrow, thin glass chimneys here. So the idea is to stop the methane getting, stop heating getting there. So trying to sort of distribute the heat um, through uh, the metal and stop the flame coming up here. Uh, the next version of this was to build um, this sort of interestingly shaped uh, chimney and an air intake uh, down there. Now one thing that Davy did discover uh, as he and Faraday did this experimental work and I must admit, uh, one has to, I do have to say uh, that it's really hard to tell who was doing which bit of work. Davy does acknowledge Faraday uh, in his paper, but one has to say that Davy's paper um, has a remarkable degree of coherence to it, which is uh, sort of a literary feature that's normally absent from most of Davy's other, other papers, which are um, difficult at times to understand, whereas Davy's paper on the lamp is extremely easy uh, to understand. Uh, one of the things, that, the things they did discover was that when flame was in a methane atmosphere, it brightened up. So instantly you had a potential detector for the presence of methane. And, but obviously, by the time a flame has 
starting to uh, increase in brightness and intensity, uh, you, you don't, you're probably a bit too late uh, to stop an explosion. And so you need to have something that closes down the, that flame very, very rapidly. And so what Davy did uh, was to develop a couple of bimetallic uh, devices. So here you have this bimetallic strip here, which when the flame, as ignited by methane, is igniting methane, heats up and causes a valve here to close and stops the flame from getting out and creating the explosion. Uh, and then the opposite way, another biometallic uh, strip here, uh, organising, a, uh, controlling a valve uh, down here to stop the oxygen desiccated air uh, getting into the flame in the first place. And there were then variants uh, on that uh, on the Clanny lamp. It's, one has to say it's not entirely clear whether Davy was aware of Clanny's work or not, uh, but you have uh, notions of uh, using bellows uh, to put, push in the oxygen and a sort of S-shaped chimney here, or a syringe, again, with exactly the same principle, I, trying to isolate the flame completely as a heat-producing source from the uh, atmosphere and keep the, keep the temperature down, prevent an explosion, but allow the light uh, to pass through. And David thought with these sorts of lamps, he'd actually cracked the problem. Indeed, so confident uh, was he that he had cracked uh, this problem that in no, early November uh, 1815, he said a paper... Uh, to the Royal Society of London, which was read on the 9th of November, um, where he announced that he'd solved this problem so the sort of benefit of humanity and so on, all the sort of rhetoric that Davy would uh, deploy, and saying, and then getting this, get, sorry, then publishing, or beginning to pub, getting the publication process of that paper in the Society's Philosophical Transactions. So close did this paper get to being published in its original form that the plate here was made. So showing this or various uh, chimney shapes and so on. This was pulled. Uh, there's only one copy of this printed plate in existence and it's in the World Institution uh, archives. The reason why it was pulled was that Davy and Rufaldi's help uh, continued work uh, on developing a lamp. And the first development was uh, what Davy called uh, uh, surrounding the flame with, a, with a, what he called a fire sieve. Um, and this is, sort of a, this is actually a heat exchanger um, in principle. So you have large sheets. These are about an inch in diameter. That's about an inch and a half. Thin sheets of metal working as a sieve, either arranged rectangularly or in a circle um, and implemented at the base of a lamp uh, like that. Again, designed to absorb the heat, spread the heat over a wide metallic area and allow uh, to reduce the temperature, prevent uh, methane uh, from exploding. The next innovation... Uh, was to turn this fire sieve here 
into gauze, piece of metal gauze here and here. And it's not entirely clear to me what David was doing with large quantities of gauze uh, in the Royal Institution. The, one of the main uses of gauze at that point in the early 19th century uh, was for making watermarked uh, paper, um, uh, which I, the RI had, did, had had a printing office, but that closed in 1804, so it's not, I'm not entirely convinced they would have it, have it left around, although knowing the amount of stuff we still find around the building, it's possible, I suppose. Uh, so this worked. So you could just apply a chimney like that with metal gauze there and place it on top of an already existing lamp. So the amount of modification needed uh, was uh, minimal. And so other examples um, here. So you could just, you just, with a candle, for example, uh, you have a candle going into a glass um, container, glass lamp, uh, and piece of gauze down there, piece of gauze down there, keeps the temperature down, the heat's distributed across the metal, and you've got a, a light source uh, very, very cheaply. And then it is pretty obvious what the next step was, that all you've got to do is to enclose the flame in a cylinder of wire gauze and you've solved uh, the problem. And he and Davy announced this in a letter to John Hodgson right at the end of December 1815. Um, that is the, his Davy's, that's the earliest drawing we've got of the gauze lamp from that letter. And this is the original gauze lamp itself. Uh, in the uh, museum at the Royal Institution. When a candle or lamp is enclosed in a wild gauze cylinder and introduced into an explosive mixture, the flame of the wick is extinguished, but the mixed gas burns steadily within the wire gauze vessel. I can confine this destructive element flame like a bird in a cage. Now, you will see from, you see, can see from here, oops, uh, that this is actually quite a well-turned uh, piece of metal here. And there's a third person involved in developing this lamp, and that's the World Institution's instrument maker, uh, John Newman. Uh, and Newman made, made, made all this, and this, this particular one's actually signed, uh, signed by Newman. Uh, but we, don't have, we, if we haven't got that much information about what Davy and Faraday were doing in their laboratory uh, on a day-by-day -day basis. We have no idea what Newman... Uh, was doing uh, on a day-by-day -day basis. Nevertheless, New by January of 1816, uh, Newman had made five of these uh, lamps, and Davy sent them up uh, to uh, Hodgson and Jarrow and asking him uh, to test the lamp down a mine. And on the 9th of January, 1816, uh, Hodgson, I think extremely bravely, uh, with a number of miners, descended uh, into Hebden Colliery, in, again in the parish, in his parish of uh, Jarrow with Heworth, and tested these lamps. And these are the actual lamps that went down uh, into the mine uh, that day. Uh, two of them have survived, uh, and these two happen to be in the Science Museum uh, in London. Uh, they were never returned to the Royal Institution, unfortunately. Thereupon, the lamps, Davy lamps, uh, 
were quickly made. I mean, they are actually quite easy things uh, and to make and, and quite uh, cheaply, and they spread rapidly uh, throughout the uh, northeast coalfield and uh, beyond, uh, as far as Belgium, Russia, the Tsar Russia, uh, gave Davy a soup chewing uh, as a token of thanks uh, for his work. There was a problem, however, from Davy's point of view, and that was George Stevenson. Now, George Stevenson was a mining engineer from Killingworth Colliery uh, near Newcastle. Uh, Killingworth Colliery was owned by the Brandling family, um, who uh, were very influential pol local politicians, uh, uh, and along with the Ridley family, uh, controlled quite a large chunk uh, of the northeast uh, coal field. At exactly the same time, and I do actually mean that exactly the same time, from October to December 1815, uh, George Stevenson uh, was working on his safety lamps. And we know actually very little about how he developed uh, those lamps. There's no documentation um, available uh, about how, how he set about uh, doing the work. But we do have the lamps. And these are the lamps that Davy got hold of uh, during 1816 uh, in order to try and rubbish them. Uh, and in this, uh, he did not uh, succeed because they also work. And they work on more or less the same uh, principle. Um, it's, again, the, so it's exactly the same problem of containing the heat from a flame in a container, but allowing the light uh, to get out. Um, so you need to distribute the heat to keep, keep the temperature uh, down. So you begin to get um, a sort of conical-shaped um, lamp here. But, over, but later, but should we have been few weeks, uh, Stevenson had started building lamps with bigger holes uh, than uh, wire gauze. And, uh, and basic, the basic argument that developed between Stevenson and Davy was how big a hole was in order to uh, uh, prevent an explosion. And then so later uh, types of, of Stevenson's lamps. And these also worked, and they were deployed uh, in the mines owned by the Brandling family uh, and uh, by the Ridley family and one or two other uh, coal mines. Davy could not believe that an unlettered mechanic, in one of his politer descriptions of Stevenson, uh, could have invented a lamp that worked as effectively uh, as his own lamp developed in the Metropolitan Laboratory of the Royal Institution. There then followed throughout 1816, 1817, uh, this most ferocious priority dispute uh, between Stevenson and Davy over who invented the lamp. Claim, counterclaim, accusations of plagiarism uh, flew around. Um, I've never actually found any evidence that either knew until quite late on uh, what the other one, other one was up to. Um, and this played in to uh, the politics uh, of the northeast uh, of England. Uh, through uh, John Lampton, later first Earl of Durham. Now, Lampton, as a young boy, uh, when he was age six or seven, six and seven, uh, studied with Humphrey Davy at the Medical Pneumatic Institution uh, in Bristol, because the person who ran the medical research, Medical Pneumatic Institution in Bristol, was called Thomas Beddoes, and uh, as a sideline, he also taught um, children uh, of extremely wealthy aristocrats. Um, and so Lampton was extremely well disposed 
uh, towards Davy. Um, and I mean, they, they record things like uh, when Davy was doing his early electrical experiments uh, in Bristol, uh, Lampton would go out onto the downs above Clifton and capture all the fogs uh, that Davy needed to do his electrical experiments. In fact, there were no fogs left on the downs by the time Lampton had finished uh, his, uh, his work. Uh, he later became ambassador to Russia, which he was moderately successful in, and then Governor-General of Canada, which was a total disaster, um, and he was recalled by the government. A strong Whig, uh, radical Whig, think Tony Benn, um, uh, as only somebody with so much money uh, could be so radical. Uh, he had an income reputed to be £30,000 a year. Uh, give you some idea what that's worth when the Royal Institution purchased its building Old Street, they paid £4,850 for it. So it gives you an idea of how wealthy uh, this man was. And to this day, Lambton Park is a quite incredible place to go and visit uh, to work uh, in the archives. You drive, drive across a couple of miles of estate trying to avoid pheasants and peasants before you get to the monument room at Lambton, Lambton Park. Opposed to Lambton, both in terms of uh, mining, but also in terms of politics, was the Brand were the Brandon family, uh, who have produced several generations of Conservative MPs uh, for the Northeast. And so this whole plagiarism uh, priority controversy uh, was given added piquancy uh, by this um, priority dispute. And the language becomes quite extraordinary. And I think Davy. Uh, begins to start suffering, or potentially suffering, uh, from a nervous breakdown. It gets very close to a nervous breakdown. So, for example, like writing to Lampton um, just a year after he'd invented his lamp, uh, I hope you will not blame me for not taking any notice of the attacks of my enemies in the north. I have no desire to go out of my way to crush gnats that buzz at a distance and do not bite me, or quarrel with persons who shoot arrows at the moon. And then a year later, writing to uh, the uh, North North Newcastle lawyer called James Losh, whom Davy also knew from Bristol days, but had changed his, but Losh had changed his uh, allegiances. To know my enemies on this occasion, not from any feeling of fear, but because I would not connect the names of honourable men with those other persons whose conduct with respect to my exertions in their cause will, I think, awake public indignation. That's Losh he's aiming that at. Uh, had they not been 300 miles apart, I do feel a duel on Putney Heath uh, would have probably been in order. And I can quote endless letters, about 60 or 70 letters uh, in that sort of tone, and Davy gets incredibly hysterical um, uh, about it. In fact, by um, the um, autumn of 1817, uh, he goes to, goes to Bath uh, to take the waters in order to try and come calm down. Um, and clearly while in Bath, he comes up with a solution uh, to the problem. I mean, Davy's actually really seriously stuck. I mean, he can't patent the lamp uh, because uh, Stevenson would immediately injunct and go to trial, and Davy, I suspect, was probably not entirely 100% confident that he would win uh, a, a patent dispute uh, with Stevenson. But he has to shake Stevenson off. He's insults. Political manoeuvring in the Northeast haven't done it. Uh, Stevenson is still there, um, as the letter to Losh in November 1817 indicates. Well, about five days after that letter, 
a group of gentlemen meet in Banks's house in Soho Square, and they include, in addition to Banks, um, William Thomas Brand, who's Davies' um, uh, successor as professor of chemistry at the Royal Institution, uh, Charles Hachette, William Hyde Wollaston, uh, who are uh, both very, very distinguished uh, chemists, and Thomas Young, uh, who's foreign secretary of the Royal Society of London. And they issue a statement, seen here, this is from Modern Chronicle, but it's published in a number of papers, point by point, refuting Stevenson's claim to have invented uh, a miner's safety lamp, and ascribing all the inventions, all the components of the invention, uh, to Humphrey Davy. So, for example, um, this paragraph here, that Mr. Stevenson is not the author of the discovery of the fact that an explosion of inflammable gas will not pass through um, openings and apertures of small dimensions, and so on, uh, for each particular uh, point. Now, while this letter doesn't actually say that Davy invented the safety lamp using science, the inference is absolutely clear. And it's inference that Faraday, in his lecture to the City Philosophical Society, with which I began, makes absolutely explicit that it is a science that has triumphed over the coal mine. Baconian science has finally produced something uh, which is identifiable uh, as influence, influencing uh, industrialization. And that does it. Uh, Stevenson gives up at that point. Um, he, Stevenson cannot pursue that kind of rhetoric. Um, he doesn't have the support of anybody in the metropolis and only limited support in the northeast due to Lampton's um, influence. And he stops um, basically claiming invention of the lamp doesn't, doesn't concede to Davy, obviously, and indeed, occasionally Robert Stevenson and his son. Uh, in later years, uh, defended his father's priority, but it, it's not a major issue uh, for them. Uh, and he goes off and invents the railway system, as one, as one does. Davy, however, ensures that at every possible opportunity, uh, he is seen as the inventor of the lamp. Um, and this takes uh, many forms, uh, but I'll just sort of talk a bit about the iconography. Um, so here you have the painting commissioned by Lady Davy of Humphrey as president of the Royal Society of London uh, by Thomas Lawrence. So here you have the president of the Royal Academy painting the president of the Royal Society of London. And there's a little safety lamp here uh, just to make the point. So instead of the battery that you had before 1815, which I showed, the iconography moves uh, to, the, um, to the lamp. And in subsequent public statues, you have... Um, Davy's statue in Penzance, where he was born, safety lamp there, and a statue um, on top of Burlington House um, in London, uh, also with a lamp. Uh, Stevenson's iconography does something similar, but not to say it doesn't have the same impact. So, um, a picture of him holding a lamp here, and the Stevenson Memorial uh, in Newcastle also has. Um, a lamp, but that doesn't look very much like a safety lamp, a Stevenson lamp to me. That looks more like a Davy lamp, but um, there we are. Now, the lamp, as I said, 
spread rapidly throughout Europe, and I presume North America, though I've never, never really looked at North America, um, and it has two effects. Uh, the, the first is it does actually reduce the number of people killed in absolute terms, but much more importantly from the point of view of the mine owners, it allows coal miners to mine much more deeply into a coal seam. So the, because the further down you go to a coal seam, the more methane you get. So previously it was far too dangerous to do that. Now we were down acting as a detector and as a light, light source, uh, you can uh, do that. And coal production increases and it allows industrialization uh, to continue during the 19th century. Um, if I was a technological determinist, which I'm not, uh, I, I could suggest that uh, it's a safety lamp that allows industrialization to continue at the same rate in the 19th century uh, as it had during the 18th century. I'm not making that claim, but I could. Um, and this is the impact. And if you do the statistics with Northeast Coalfield, which is the only one we've got reliable statistics for, in terms of millions of tonnes of coal produced per miner uh, killed, uh, it goes shooting up like that exponentially, which we've already seen. It then comes e quickly down after the lamp's invented, and then there's a sort of steady, slow progression uh, of lower fertilities, fatalities, higher production. Except, you will have noticed, in the period of 1841 to 1845, and that's entirely down to one explosion, which is of huge interest and significance, particularly in, the, um, social, in social history. On 28th of September, 1844, 95 men and boys, um, by that time there, was no, there were no under 10-year-olds, um, that had been banned by an act of parliament in the 1830s. Uh, the, this colliery, Haswell colliery in County Durham exploded, uh, causing a huge cottage, uh, as with fed in colliery um, some 30 years or so uh, before. Now, Davy was always quite keen uh, on the rhetoric of state involvement um, and sort of say, say on frequent occasions that uh, science is a great service to the state, uh, which he illustrated with varying degrees of success, uh, not in the coal industry but also elsewhere. But Actually, when one looks at the safety lamp, uh, there is very little state influence. It's all done by private companies or private individuals, um, very little state regulation or control. Until you get the great reform parliament of the 1830s, who, and the reform parliament is simply not there to reform itself, to, to change parliamentary uh, practices and representation, but actually there to reform all kinds of organisations. So, uh, and... So coal mining is quite high on the list. Uh, lighthouses, which I'll talk about next week, was also quite high, uh, well, very high on the list uh, for uh, reform. And in the mid-1830s and uh, again in the 1840s, there was significant legislation uh, to dictate what two coal mine owners, whether they're private or individual in household laws or not, uh, what they could and couldn't do. So, for example, the, one, the reason why you don't have any... Yet, younger boys than 10 being killed at Haswell Colliery is because that had been outlawed uh, by, the, by an Act of Parliament in 1835. One of the other things that the Act, that, that Act of Parliament had done was to provide um, or make provision for using scientific advice in 
inquests relating to coal mine disasters. This had never been uh, implemented, so far as I can make out, until the Haswell Colliery disaster in 1844. Uh, that shows where bodies were found, uh, because one, one of the things about explosions, it's not the explosion that kills the people, it's using up all the oxygen uh, in the mine that kills the people, and they simply uh, suffocate uh, as a result. So William Prouting uh, Roberts on the left, uh, a, a very, very radical uh, trade union leader and lawyer, um, whom Engels knew, and Engels wrote quite a bit about the, um, the Haswell Colliery disaster uh, in his Conditional Working Men of Conditioned the working men of England uh, the following year, one of the sort of classic texts, founding texts of uh, Marxist ideology. Uh, William Roberts decided to implement this uh, government's, the government's um, procedures uh, and went to Brighton to visit the Prime Minister Robert Peel on the, on the right. Peel really didn't have much choice because it was quite clear this was quite an exceptional explosion. I mean, it even shows up in the statistics that I uh, began this part of the talk with. And he agreed uh, without demur uh, to uh, employ scientific advice at the inquest. And he got the permanent secretary of the Home Office, uh, Samuel Phillips, uh, to arrange for two of the leading scientific figures of the decade uh, to, to take part uh, in the inquest. And that's Michael Faraday here, obviously had lots of experience uh, from uh, his work with the safety lamp in 30 years or so before, and Charles Lyell, uh, the founder uh, of modern geology, um, uh, who, but who was originally an Edinburgh-trained uh, lawyer. However, Phillips, writing to the coroner uh, at Haswell, uh, said, well, we've got these two people coming up, Faraday and Lyle, who are going to help you, and they're going to help you determine that the cause of the explosion was an accident, uh, thereby um, preempting what the verdict would be. The, the point of an inquest is it should, it, the point of inquest is that it should tell you what the uh, cause, of a, cause of an event was. By referring it to it, referring to it by the permanent secretary referring to it deliberately as an accident, he was preempting it and telling the, um, which is what they wanted anyway, was telling the coroner, don't worry about these two guys, um, they're going to do what they're told. Um, which one has to say, they didn't quite do. Um, Faraday was, Faraday, both Faraday and Lara went down the down Haswell Colliery in early October uh, 1844, and Faraday was absolutely appalled at the safety procedures in place. Uh, he was, one, one, one occasion he was sitting on a, on a bag and there were sort of lighted candles around the place and Faraday asked, well, what's in the bag? And he said, gunpowder. Um, he was not happy, as you, as you can imagine. Nevertheless, on the evidence uh, presented, the jury uh, at the inquest uh, returned a verdict of accidental death, which is what the Home Office wanted, uh, and Faraday said he agreed uh, with that inquest, gave five guineas uh, to the off. Uh, widows and Orphans Fund, and left for London with Lyle. He and Lyle then wrote a report highlighting the um, big, big issues uh, with health and safety. 
uh, in coal mines, arguing for much better ventilation of a coal mine, uh, arguing for much better education of mine workers, because that's part of the problem. One, one, basically, there's, obviously, it's rather, hard, it's rather hard to tell, but that they came to the conclusion that essentially the, what caused the explosion was an open safety lamp, and the mine workers didn't actually realise that having an open safety lamp in the presence of methane was a seriously bad idea. Um, and so if you have better educated mine workers to understand how lamps work and why you shouldn't have an open flame in a coal mine, that would improve safety. The mine owners were totally appalled at this report. Uh, the um, Lord Londonderry, another of the big aristocratic uh, mine owners in the northeast, uh, when threatened with a mining inspectorate, uh, said the first inspector who came onto his, into his mines would be thrown down it and kept there. Um, it's a friendly sort of chap. Um, that put Peel in a very, very difficult position. Peel had, after all, authorised all of this to happen, but he was getting seriously criticised in the House of Lords by people like uh, Londonderry. Um, Duke of Wellington was also less than happy uh, about all of this. And what Peel did, and what Peel was always very good at doing, was, was a great politicians of the 19th century still, uh, in as, a, as an operator, uh, rather than as an ideologue, um, uh, was to uh, smother Dave, uh, Faraday's and Lyle's report. And the way he smothered it was by tabling it on the House of Commons table on the day that the Maynooth funding bill was being having its second reading. Well, those of you who remember the behaviour in the House of Commons uh, during the Maastricht debate, what, 15 years or so ago, uh, will remember uh, what it was like then. For the Maynooth debate, triple it, quadruple it. I mean, this was, this was a Protestant parliament funding a Roman Catholic seminary. This is not what Protestant parliaments are supposed to do. Uh, and the row was huge, so that by tabling it on the day of the second reading of that bill, Peel simply killed the report stone dead, uh, and it didn't really re-emerge again uh, for about 20 years uh, afterwards, despite containing uh, the novel observation by Faraday that dust in and of itself uh, can cause an explosion. Um, and that's why the safety lamp uh, became really rather important for ships, uh, carrying grain and things uh, uh, later on. The, the um, winding house for Haswell Colliery uh, still exists. Um, it's a rather uh, bleak uh, place, and there's a memorial uh, in the centre uh, to the 95 men and boys uh, who had died. So even though... Davy and Faraday, working in 1815-1816, had developed a lamp which, in theory, if properly used, uh, and in general, as you saw from the graph, uh, was properly used, uh, would um, prevent explosions and increase coal production. If they weren't properly used, uh, if the vested interests of the mine owners uh, uh, one out uh, against the interests of the mine workers, uh, you still got explosions like that. Thank you. For all information, please go to grasham.ac.uk.